Go ahead and take a seat, please. Before entering into our passage this morning, which is Philippians 4, I want to invite you to put a marker there and turn first uh, to 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. And I'd like to begin this morning by way of introduction by talking about uh, politics. Uh, yeah, now, now all of your eyes look at me, all the attention uh, goes. Okay, so here we go. Um, so you might remember a few, several weeks back, I quoted from what has been attributed to Charles Spurgeon that we are supposed to be the kind of people that hold our Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other so that we would know what's going on in our world, but we also know how to speak truth into it. And so um, I'd like to restate some things I actually said yesterday I had the privilege of meeting with the uh, Plus One Pregnancy uh, Guidance Center and uh, spoke to them, got to pray over them uh, briefly. And if you don't know much about them, just a little plug for them. Um, they provide a variety of resources right here in town to uh, women who are before, uh, during pregnancy, and after pregnancy in, in uh and providing maternity baby supplies, they provide counseling courses, support groups, a whole lot of other resources. And so, if you didn't know this, we partner with them, and it's one of the most critical uh, relationships that Bethesda has. Uh, you, you don't get much more critical than supporting uh, life. And so, um, if perhaps the Lord has laid upon your heart recently to go, I think I'm just supposed to be a part of something new. I, I haven't been serving, and I, I just feel like the Lord's calling me to something new. Perhaps I am saying this for you this morning. So, uh, Mary Helen, where, where are you? Can you raise your hand? There you are, right over there. So, talk to Mary Helen. We have several others uh, who volunteer at, the, at Plus One, and they would love to get you involved, and they would appreciate your help. But Anyways, I was speaking with them at their training, and we were looking at just this last week in the political sphere and saying, how do we respond to that as pro-life Christians? Like, how do you respond to the slew of legislation that has been passed against, on the one hand, or in favor, on the one hand, abortion protection, or has failed, on the other hand, in favor of abortion bans. And so you can take this even more generally, and you can think about just the midterms in general and say, um, how do I respond to what I'm seeing in the news? And I, I just want to say, I'm not dumb. I, I came from California, and now I'm here, so I have a pretty good idea of my context. It's a little bit different than where I was before, so I have an idea where the overall thought might be. But I want to read to you something from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, and this is how we're called to respond, how we're supposed to obey. Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it pleases God in the sight of, uh, pleases him in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is what I pointed out yesterday. I want to point this out here again. Do you know who's on the throne when Paul is saying this? It's Nero. And Nero's the guy for sport, takes Christians, Christians, nails them to crosses, sets them on fire, and puts them in his garden at night so he can have a nightlight. That's who we're talking about. And Paul says, 
pray for them. You pray for them. And so there's no discrimination. Praying for the person is easy whose politics you agree with, but even those you don't agree with, Paul says you pray for them. So let's do this, okay? Um, Should you pray for a certain South Dakota state representative from the 22nd district who just so happens to lead our senior adult ministry? Should you pray for that person? Yes, okay. Should you pray for John Thune, who just was reelected as our state's U.S. Senator? Okay. Now it's going to get fun. Maybe that's too easy for some of us. Should you pray for Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, AOC? Yeah, okay. And let's go for the big ones. Should you pray for the Vice President, Kamala Harris? Should you pray for our President, Joe Biden, today? Yes, absolutely, right. And so when I read my Bible, it doesn't discriminate on who we pray for, whether they have a D behind their name or R behind their name. Romans 13, one says, and this is the second time this has happened, by the way, where what I'm preaching on, Brian Stahl is giving the kids version of it like 15 minutes before. Romans 13, one says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Later on, Paul describes these people as servants of God, ministers of God, who have in principle been put in authority for your protection and to administer justice and to whom we pay taxes. It's two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes, exactly. And so I just wish sometimes that I could be like Jesus and and fish and get some fish and it would have my property taxes right here and goodness here on property taxes. Anyways, back to where we're at here, okay. God elevates kings and he tears them down. On the one hand, we vote, but on the other hand, there is a sovereign God who is in control over all things. And he is the God of Revelation 19, which when he will come back, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, will make all wrongs right. He will deal out justice, and he will do it especially to those who should have been doing it in positions of authority. That's the hope we have when we look forward to the future. And so if we have a sovereign God who is in charge and is in control, sets up kings, tears them down, what do you think you and I should do? Pray and obey. You trust him whether it is easy or whether it is hard. And I think we'll we'll see in just a moment as we deal with our own anxiousness, the remedy so that we would have the peace of God is that we would submit those things and pray to him. And so I wanna say one more thing since I'm already I'm already here, so let me say one more thing to you. I think it was on my first or second Sunday, one of my commitments to you was that this word right here would be preached every single Sunday, and if it wasn't, you have my permission to use the exit signs. I'm gonna give you a second commitment. While I do believe there is warrant to critique the morals, policies, and, and actions of those who are in authority, I think John the Baptist does this with Herod. There's warrant there as an example. It's right for us to speak out against injustices that happen. Here's my commitment to you. No one gets endorsed from behind this sacred desk except for the one to whom Nero himself will bow the knee to one day, and that's Jesus Christ, Christ alone. He gets the glory. So when we are gathered in this room, we are reminded that we are citizens, we're dual citizens, one on the one side of this kingdom, but on the other side of a greater kingdom. And when we're here, we worship Christ alone to the glory of God alone.
With me? Okay. So let me pray for us, and then we'll look at our text. Jesus, we thank you that in this moment you are in charge and you're in control, and therefore it makes it easy to pray. Like if you oversee all things, what do we have to fear? That's what we've been singing about this morning. And so, Lord, now as we look at what Paul has for us, as he wrote 2,000 years to the church in Philippi, would you speak to us in our own present context this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Philippians 4.1, go there now. Philippians 4.1, we actually ended here last week on verse 1, but we're going to start again here because it's something of a transition verse. So Philippians 4.1, let me read. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse two, I entreat you, Yodia, and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clements and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. And the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then finally, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I should tell you that I feel obligated to explain myself here on the title of the sermon. Uh, it started out as um, anxious for nothing, and then the more and more I was looking into it, uh, it, it just seemed like there was just a whole lot of commands here. And I went, well, there's the title right there. And so there's, there's just a slew of commands that Paul just gives at the end, that he just rapid fires off for us, as, as we've just seen, as we've read. And I think just kind of giving you a, a roadmap for where we're going to go now. There's really four ways I think you can group up these commands. So there's four of them. We'll put them on the screen as we go along. But we're going to go through all four. And I think the first one's the obvious, that we're, gonna, that we're called to. The church in Philippi was called to this. We're called to this. We stand firm. That's first. Second, we're going to talk about how we deal with conflict in the church. Third, we're going to look at what devotion, Christian devotion, what does that actually look like? And then lastly, what kind of thing should we set our minds on? So, so let's look at that first one again. I reread verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. As we've been walking through Philippians, you notice this is not the first time we've, we've come across this command, right? We, we first dealt with it back in 127, and if you were with us, this was several weeks back, we looked at how the church is supposed to be unified together. Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come or see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
And so we have that dual citizenship as the Philippians in their context and us in our own, where on the one hand, we, we serve in this world, but on the other hand, we're striving for the gospel unified together. And we don't let that outside world influence or speak into what we do in here. We let the word of God do that. We talk specifically about how um, in our day, we deal with that in area, the areas sur- surrounding the question of what does it mean to be human, what is man, questions around sexuality, if you remember. And so we stand firm on God's word side by side for the sake of the gospel message. And so what Paul then does is he says, therefore, and then he says everything he's going to say. And we ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And so if you look backward, Paul has just said, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. So right now, Christian, God doesn't just tell you to stand firm. He reminds you of how this whole story is going to end. Jesus We've already said this this morning. Jesus is going to give you a new body. Jesus, when the trumpet blasts, we are going to see that death will fall once and for all. You know how the story ends. And so listen, I, I was talking to someone this week, and I, and I said, you know, right now, if I had to, I could think, I could name 20 of us just in this room who are dealing with serious things, like, like cancer, sickness. There's at least two of us who I know who are really living out those vows in sickness and health to their spouses. And I just wanna say, I know that some of you are going through hardship, pain, and suffering. I know that some of us are asking, does God still care about me? I know that there are those of us who are confronting those sicknesses. They're dealing with grief. Some of us are dealing with doubt. But I'm here to remind you once again, and I'm so glad to be a broken record about the good things is that you should not forget how your story ends if you are found in Jesus Christ. And so he is going to wipe away every tear. He's gonna give you that new body. You will see him face to face and heaven will come down to earth. This is that image in Revelation 22. This is how it's described. Just take this in. This is yours if you're in Christ Jesus. The tree of life with all of its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you despair? Don't forget that your future hope is in Christ. Don't give up. Don't give in. See what lies ahead. It's looking backwards. But then we look forward, on the other hand. I think you can see how he does this in a couple ways. The first way is he says that you do this in the Lord. Right now in this moment, you don't have to do this thing by yourself. You have in the Lord. How do Christians exist in the Lord? We have the spirit of the living God within us. You don't have to white knuckle it. Christ is here. But the second thing he does is he uses this really passionate language, warm language. My brothers whom I long for, my joy and my crown, my beloved, deep feelings of commitment to this church that he says, when I think about you, man, I, man, I get excited when I pray. 
And so he gets personal with them, and he does it for a reason, because of what he's about to say. Look at verse 2, okay? He says, I entreat Euodio and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have, served, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clements and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here's how I think you can sum up this, this statement, uh, all of this in, in one sentence. This is our second thing we want to say, is that we are called to seek reconciliation and unity for the sake of gospel mission. Church conflict, <laughs> church pain. How we talk about this is so critical. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Denver, uh, Colorado, and um, I had a buddy of mine named Josh, still friends with him, and they were going to be planting Lighthouse Church. Uh, Ryan was there actually at the time. And so um, I actually, I flew in, I showed up, and they actually ended up having it on another date because things didn't work out to do it at that time. Got to see how they were meeting in a warehouse, and it was just a really good thing, especially knowing where they were and now where the church is today. This is one of our fellow uh, churches in our uh, denomination. And so went to the church service, and then afterwards there was a, another pastor in town who was actually starting his church plan at a local elementary school that night, and he had called Lighthouse people up and said, can you come help us? Which is the telltale sign that things are going to go poorly because they hadn't planned to have the right personnel to actually be ready for that night. And so we show up to the elementary school and there's a, there's a bounce house, there's, there's a grill, um, there's, there's so many things to get people hyped up and ready for this, this new church that's starting. And so, uh, to get ready for the big kickoff. And, and to be honest, not a lot of people had, had shown up. And we were kind of feeling it out going, what's, what's going to happen? And so, the service starts, and our assignment was to get the grill started back here, and we were having trouble getting it turned on. So the pastor's up in the front. Someone has to go get him because he's, of course, the only one who knows, knows how to turn the grill on. And he comes back while the songs are, are going on, and we're trying to get this worked out. Josh is over here on the soundboard. I'm standing in the back going, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, I hear, boom, I hear an explosion behind me. And I turn around, and I see a fireball go up where the grill is. And the pastor jumps back. Some of our guys jump back. And, and one of those guys actually stumbles backwards and comes up to me, and he's dazed. And, and I say this with no exaggeration for the story. This brother's eyebrows and eyelashes have been blown off because of the explosion, just like a cartoon. And so it was just an absolutely crazy moment. In this train wreck, somehow this, this pastor somewhere in this ends up getting on the stage and starts preaching. And that was, well, that was the most significant part. And as he's preaching, I caught what he was doing. He, maybe you've been in a circumstance like this where he was trying to gather disillusioned Christians, people who had been hurt by the church and was saying, we're not gonna be like those people. This is how we're gonna do it. There's this, very much this sense of an us versus them, like you're gonna come along and you're gonna be the one church that gets it right, right? And so he's, he's doing this, and I remember feeling like, I'm not sure you're going about this the right way. You ever been in a church context like that where you've seen, seen that environment going, everyone else gets it wrong, but we get it right here. And so I just think of this reality. 
whether your church has been around since five seconds ago or whether it's about to turn 80 years old, there's one thing that both of them have, people. And people are messy. And people are sinners. And sinners are really good, whether unintentionally or intentionally, at hurting each other. It's like marriage. It's not a question of if you're ever going to get in a fight. It's when you get in that fight and how do you fight well, right? And so much ink has been spilled on who these two women were, uh, were uh, what kind of people they were. And from what we can gather is they were probably leaders in the church. If you remember in Acts 16, when Paul shows up to Philippi, what's the first thing he does? He finds several women in the kind of the, the church that's about to get started, and he goes down to see them who are down at the river to pray. And so women played a prominent role in the life of Philippi as they do here at Bethesda. And so we don't know exactly, but there seems to be some sort of ministry strife that's going on between the two of them. And so this is really serious when Paul does something here he doesn't normally do. He names them and he calls them out. So imagine, Epaphroditus, remember him? He's our brother and he shows up. He brings this letter that we have in front of us to the church in Philippi. He stands up on the podium in front of everybody else and he's reading the letter from Paul to the whole congregation. Can you imagine what it would be like to be sitting in one of the pews while Epaphroditus is speaking and you hear your name getting called out? Like that's awkward. That's, that's just gotta be embarrassing. So Paul's gotta have good reason if he's doing what he's doing, right? Why does he do this? One, probably because of the public nature of their ministry as leaders. But secondly, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Paul rebukes these two women because he loves them and he cares about them. And so this isn't just like, I think there's a mischaracterization when we read this passage. Uh, many have looked at this and seen it as a squabble between two cranky old women or something like that. And that's not the case. These are prominent leaders in the church. And Paul says, I want you to get along. And so what's the remedy? Three things. He says, one, I want you to agree in the Lord. When you have a disagreement with someone else, remind yourself what binds you together. You agree in the Lord. You have the same mind, same love. You have the whole Holy Spirit within you. But you agree together. That means that you don't talk about each other. You talk to each other. You don't write anonymous letters to one another. You speak to one another. You preserve unity and you go straight to the source so that you would agree in the Lord. Secondly, he, he speaks about a true companion. He says, true companion, I want you to help these sisters out. And so what that means is, it is the responsibility of not just those two women, but of everyone in the church to be peacemakers. You and I don't get to say when we see strife happening in the church, not my circus. No, if we're Christians, we're involved. Third, you consider what's at stake. It's gospel mission. I've been in church long enough, and I know many of us in this room have been in church long enough to know this, that you can so easily get distracted and have your energy sapped off by stupid conversations when instead you should be focused on gospel mission for the sake of lost people in our community. And Paul says, I want you to remind you of what's at stake. And so I'm gonna ask each of you three questions now. That's what's at stake. Calls people to be involved it calls them to agree in the Lord. But I want to ask you three questions before we move on. 
you yourself, when you look at your own life, do you see yourself as a threat to gospel unity? You should, because you're a sinner, and so am I. We should look at ourselves and say, Lord, what is in me? Each of us are capable, given the right circumstances, of the most heinous sins. Lord, what in me do you want to transform so that I would be a minister of unity in the body and not a minister of disunity? That's the first question. Secondly, when you have conflict in your life, I feel led to say this here, if you have conflict in your marriage, not just in the church, but in your marriage and in your own home, are you the kind of person that in pride says, I can do it by myself? Or in humility do you say, I need help? Seek out an elder. Elders are shepherds, and the shepherds want to be good stewards of your soul, and we love you and we care about you. It's not just me, it's the rest of us. The deacons as well, as well as a small group leader, find someone and let them help you. Third, are you the kind of person who is prepared to give help? And so we don't meddle in things just to stir things up, but we are ministers of reconciliation. And if Jesus has reconciled us to himself, we are called to be ministers towards one another. And so I, I just want to say, I don't just say these, these things from Paul as if this is something that's not disconnected from Aaron's life. Like, that'll be for another day to have that conversation of some of the things the Lord has taken me through. But I want to say, Church pain can be incredibly difficult. And it's difficult for this reason. When I came across Psalm 55, which expresses it this way, it just got right to my heart. Here's what it says. It's because of the person that's doing this to us when we have disunity with them. For, Psalm 55 says, For it is not the, an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. And it is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal my companion, my familiar friend. It's one thing when the world slanders us. It's one thing when the world comes after us. But the knife just twists even more when it's friendly fire from Christians who should know better. And Paul says to these women, you should know better. Agree in the Lord. And so there's much more I want to say. We don't have time for it. Another day we'll talk about more about reconciliation and forgiveness. But for now, when you consider where these women are, are and what Paul calls them to do, consider the words of C.S. Lewis who says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And so if he has done that, the gospel is good news for today, not just when you are saved. It's bring reconciliation right now. So for whoever you are, wherever you are, seek reconciliation. Uh, Paul then goes on to say, some of the most famous words that you're familiar with that might be on a coffee cup or on your wall somewhere at home. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, saying that as a kid. Let your reasonableness be known to, all, to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the third one. Third one. What Christian devotion should look like, it should have these three things. There's more, but at least three things that we see here. Rejoicing, gentleness, and it should be full of prayer. This is what Christian devotion looks like. And so 
I have been saying this over and over throughout this series, and I'm happy to say it again. Friend, your joy is not based on how you feel or what you're going through, but it is based on your relationship and being found in Christ Jesus. The man from death row reminds each of us this morning that you can rejoice always, always, regardless of present challenges, because you're found in Christ Jesus. Uh, Secondly, he uses the word, um, in my Bible, it's going to say reasonableness. Other translations, if you have them, will say, let your graciousness be considerate, have a gentle spirit towards all men. And so what Paul is saying is that for every single person in the church, we are supposed to have that gentle disposition toward others. Oh, this is such low-hanging fruit, how to apply this, given this last week in our political climate. The Christian on social media is supposed to be the kind of person that is marked by graciousness, being considerate, and having a gentle spirit. If I were to look at your social media, would, you, would I be able to tell more easily which party you are for or whether you are for Jesus Christ? That, that's my question to, to us. I just have to say it. I follow some of us on social media. I follow many Christians on social media. And sometimes I wonder, what is center in your life? Every Christian is called to speak truth and compassion into the volatile situation that we find in our world. And so how is God calling you to do that in your own sphere this morning? And then Paul turns and he says, I want you, when you deal with anxiousness, to pray so that you would have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Max Lucado is a pastor down in San Antonio where I'm from, and he wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing, a very simple, straightforward, but gets right to the gold uh, kind of book. So I recommend that to you, Anxious for Nothing. And he describes anxiety as someone you should know that has dealt with a lot of that in my own life. I am not perfect up here in front of you. You should know that. this, This is very much a passage preaching to Aaron right here. Here's how how Lucado describes anxiety. He says, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Isn't that good? Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Anxiety and fear are cousins, but they're not twins. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines a threat. It's a state that wells up in us emotionally for a variety of reasons, and it can have physical consequences. Let me just give you some. Maybe this is you. Mood swings, irritability, anger, sweating, rapid heartbeat, chest pain, exhaustion, nervous twitching, deceased, uh, decreased, not deceased, decreased concentration memory, and memory, nausea, shortness of breath, panic, insomnia, high blood pressure. Is that you? There's a high price for not trusting in the Lord, and you feel that physically. And so in our present moment, I think we are in an epidemic of anxiety. Uh, One uh, psychologist points this out, uh, Robert Leahy, and he says the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And you think about why is the case that we would deal with such anxiousness? Well, I think we're bombarded with news faster than we ever have been before. If you look at uh, Lucado, one of the things he pointed out was, he said, for years I kept a nightly appointment with the 10 o'clock news. There's just nothing like falling asleep with accounts of murders and, and catastrophes fresh on the brain, right? And for us, we would probably say on our phones, and I plead guilty on that one. And so maybe for others of us, we feel that pressure to perform 
or feel pressure to solve some sort of situation in our life. And it can just be never-ending, never-ending. And so, as I said, as someone who deals with that anxiousness and has walked through that for a good portion of my life, I have good news. You don't have to live in perpetual anxiety. You don't have to live in constant dread, but you can have the peace of God. And so I wanna just do this. I wanna let the truth of God's word just wash over us this morning and let some of the most famous words that Jesus has ever spoken on this subject be true for you. And they are true for you. Jesus says this to you this morning, wherever you find yourself. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor sleep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious and say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. The what ifs. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. And so if God is really the provider, and you can see that in how he, 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 he makes the seasons work, Goodness, it's cold outside. Thank God that we have someone, who, who, a, a creator, who is always on that cycle. If he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, how much more does he care about you? He's your provider and your sustainer. He is the God over time. So as you are looking at this moment, there are those of us who are going, what's gonna happen tomorrow? He already knows. There's no such thing as a curveball in his economy. And so by worrying about what's in your life right now, whatever it might be, You are not adding one hair to your head. You are not adding a day of your life. And so instead, we are to trust the Lord. We are called in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so if he is sovereign and in charge and in control, what should you do? Pray and trust him. And so in my life, this doctrine That's kind of behind what we're saying, the sovereignty of God, where he is over all things and he is orchestrating them, the providence. Remember that? We talked about the providence of God. It's God's sovereignty in action to to realize his glorious end of of what he intends. When I found myself in moments where I go, Lord, what are you doing? Why did you put me here? Like I haven't just been put here for a day or a week or a month, but I've been living this for years now. You find yourself in that and you go, well, what are you doing? From man's perspective, we ask that question. It doesn't make any sense. But from God's perspective, he is working all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what he is doing. And so if you trust him this morning, or even have just 2% of trust, 
Say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you put it in his hands today and say, your will be done. So you pray, and I love this from Luther, you pray and let God worry. There's something so peaceful in saying, God, you put me here, so this is your problem. You deal with it, you provide, you make it possible, and you leave it in his hands. And the result we're told from Paul is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'll put up on the screen something for you that I think by way of application will be helpful. And this comes from Lucado. And so it's called Calm. You write this down, hold on to it. So the next time you find yourself in this anxiousness, one, celebrate God's goodness. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Don't worry, we'll leave this up, okay? Second, you ask the Lord for help. Don't be prideful and say, I can handle this on my own. You turn to help and say, Lord, help me. Third, leave your concerns with God. I love this from Lucado. He, he says, when we pray, we should remember that God does not need your help, counsel, or assistance. Please repeat this, fa- this phrase, I hereby resign as the ruler of the universe. And so when God is ready for us to re-engage, he's gonna let us know. And so when we pray, we don't go, Lord, I think you should. We say, Lord, I trust you instead. And then lastly, we meditate on good things. Instead of living on social media or the 10 o'clock news, whatever it is for you, we meditate on that which is best. And here's what Paul says that is. I've read it before, but we'll read it again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What should Christians think about? Lastly, that which is praiseworthy, praiseworthy things. And so the question that I want to ask you now are the things that you think about anxiety-inducing or do they lead to the peace of God? And God has called us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we would be the kind of people that others would want to model their lives after. And so, friends, here's where I want to end. I want to say this. Let us consider that the one who has redeemed us by the blood of the lamb has placed his spirit in us, has called us to examine ourselves so that we would stand firm, seek unity, rejoice always, and pray always, and focus on that which is praiseworthy. And so, at the end of all things, let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, so that you would be able to say at the end, I rejoice in the Lord because of what he's done for me. Let us go and live as he has called us to live. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda. M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Europe. Have a blessed day.